Hey there, and welcome to our podcast for this Tuesday, March 16th. Coming up, Prime Minister Trudeau pushing back on a U.S. suggestion that the Canadian-U.S. border reopen soon. Plus, day one of Ontario's vaccine portal, how'd the rollout go? We'll ask NDP leader Andrea Horvath. And the Ontario Hospital Association says the province is in a third wave of COVID. All of that coming up. Here on the podcast, our government here still wrestling with the idea of uh, forget the four day work week, still wrestling with the idea of reopening the border with the U.S. Now, Joe Biden says he wants it to happen, but our prime minister. Well, here was a Justin Trudeau on this yesterday. We know that the first priority will always be ensuring the safety and security of our citizens, while at the same time ensuring the flow of $2 billion worth of goods every day flow across that border. And it was really important, even when we brought in those original restrictions uh, back in March a year ago, uh, the flow of goods not be interrupted. And that's exactly what we've seen. But uh, we're all eager to be able to travel again. It was very exciting for me to be able to come to Montreal for this announcement this morning. Uh, but I think we're all going to wait uh, patiently uh, until uh, such a time as the health situation allows us to loosen border restrictions uh, internationally. Uh, that'll be uh, eventually, but not for today. And that was the big quote coming out of yesterday from Justin Trudeau when it comes to the Canada-U.S. border. Eventually, but not for today when it comes to reopening. Let's welcome in Mark Warner. He's a trade and investment lawyer, and he joins us for more on this on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mark, how are you? Not too bad. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Uh, vaccines, as we know, Mark, being widely distributed right across the U.S. right now. So is it time that Canada starts maybe considering uh, reopening the border? I think they have to be more careful in, in the way they've been uh, approaching this up until now. I think it was clear under Trump and the early days of Biden that the Americans would like to open the border. And though Canada has been the one that's wanted to have it closed. And you know, pretty soon we're going to be in an environment where I think by any measure there's going to be more Americans vaccinated, fully vaccinated with the two doses of Pfizer and Moderna, and we probably either under-vaccinated or, or not quite finished vaccinating uh, our population. And so yeah, you can sort of see a situation where, you know, turn around, what is it, turn about fair play, and the Americans say, oh, now you want to open it. We think we just might close it until all of you guys get your two doses. So I, I think that, I would hope at the very least that there's a little bit more sophisticated thinking about this maybe try to get a path towards um, lifting some of the restrictions gradually so that we're not left in that position where, where the Americans just look up and say, well, why, why would we just give into this now? Like, you know, so I, obviously we want to do it in a way that uh, doesn't create community spread from people traveling and that has restrictions for, um, you know, tourists and that sort of thing. But maybe there's some way gradually sort of becoming a little bit uh, let, um, a little bit less strict on the essential workers who are crossing. I mean, I know the auto parts people who try to cross the border to get to their plants are having difficulty coming across as essential workers. Um, they didn't seem to have that problem in the early days of the restrictions, and they're having it now. And that has, obviously, that's a huge sector of our economy. It has a real cost to us. Sure, but... Fix a little bit with the primary. Yeah, when it comes to public health and public safety, though, Mark, uh, what exactly uh, are the metrics when you talk about uh, thoughtful uh, conversation and what we should be uh, looking at when it comes to reopening the border? Is it a certain percentage of each country's population being vaccinated, a uh, herd immunity? Uh, what do you think we need to be looking at? 
Well, I think that's one way of doing it. I mean, I, I think that for Canada, doing it on, in terms of percentage of the population that's vaccinated is problematic because I think we're going to be lagging Americans by any measure. So I think you're really look more looking at it in terms of professions or something. You're looking at it in some way of trying to make it easier for um, service professionals to be classed as, um, as essential workers, you know, nurses that have to cross the border, the auto parts people I'm talking about in a way that doesn't, doesn't somehow spread out to everybody who wants to go on a, to a beach. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and then of course we have to think, we, we have to think that there's a certain amount of reciprocity about this, that, that if we, you know, we, it's hard to open it only in one direction. So we have to think that the greatest threat for us is probably Canadians who go to the beach and then come back to Canada. Right? It's not the American who comes up on business and then goes back home, it seems to me. It's probably more what we do ourselves than what they do to us. Yeah, just what kind of damage, though, Mark, has been done economically? I mean, you talk about people going to the beach. There certainly has been a huge economic impact on both sides of the border when it comes to tourism and the hospitality industry. Do we have a handle on just economically what sort of impact closing the border for as long as we have has had? Well, in terms of the goods part of the economy, I don't think it's really hurt very much because up until now, most of, you know, we're getting our vegetables and our fruits. We're not seeing the prices increase. Uh, the auto parts are flowing back and forth across the border. So for the most part, I mean, I, I actually hate using the word closure because I don't think the border has ever been closed. And that's part of my, my feeling about this. Part of the problem the prime minister has got himself into is by using that kind of language from the start and makes it harder to kind of walk it back. What we have had is a bunch of restrictions on the border. And it's always seemed to me, if you frame it in terms of restrictions, then you can start talking about lifting restrictions gradually, you know, in a way that makes sense. And so obviously tourism is the sector that's hurt the most in terms of Americans coming up here. Um, you know, Canadians can still fly to their tourist destination until very recently with quarantine restrictions. But clearly that's the part that's been hurt in Canada the most, it seems to me. Um, and uh, so that, 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 but that, I think you're not going to be able to solve the tourism problem until you really get the vaccine rolled out in both countries on a more systematic basis. I think in terms of the cost of the economy, what you really have to focus on are those business people who are traveling, kind of the service professional salespeople. That's the part we have to make sure continue to cross the border. Because if you get to a point where everyone's vaccinated in the U.S. and we're sort of halfway there and the person in the U.S. has to figure out, who am I going to deal with? Am I going to deal with that Canadian who can't come across the border? Or am I just going to go over to that person in the other state or in the other city? And that's the big fear, I think, facing us now. Um, so we're not going to be able to have to play the sort of Dr. No mode that we've been playing for the last year when it was Trump that was in power before the vaccines. Yeah, and to that point, Mark, I've seen a lot of talk about this in the last day or so. It was President Biden, sorry, who brought this up originally about reopening the border or looking seriously at it. And if the U.S. wants the border opened up again, should they consider maybe sharing some of their vaccine? And could, should the Canadian government maybe use that as a bit of a bargaining tool or bargaining chip? Uh, I don't think they want it open that much. I think, if anything, the people who really benefit from having it open is really on our side of the border. So my own feeling is that I have a feeling that that's what the government will do. But I think that's the kind of thing that will just entrench the Americans even further. <laughs> I think really the issue has to be treated somewhat separately, the vaccine issue and and the border opening um, part of it. I, I, think we, we, I don't think we're going to want to highlight that issue 
until or unless we get that part of it under control ourselves. And it doesn't seem likely that we will anytime soon. Yeah, just finally, speaking of anytime soon, when do you anticipate the border being uh, reopened? Do you think fall? Is that the, the earliest? Are we looking uh, end of the year, maybe even into 2022? Or do we just not know right now with the uh, variants? And I know there's some uh, talk as to whether yeah. or not here in Ontario, we're actually uh, in the midst of a third wave. Yeah. Well, I, I, look, I think I, I have a hard time believing the, you know, as I sort of track the movements of the vaccines across the border and the supply issues in other countries that have to get to Canada. I have a hard time, you know, seeing that we're really going to meet the targets that the provincial government here in Ontario and the federal government set. But if we actually do have, some, you know, all of Ontario and adults really vaccinated by June, then I suppose you could start seeing that. If you have every adult in Canada by September, then I suppose that you're, you're beginning to sort of look at what point would you keep it closed. So, you know, I, I think we're going to, if we can really meet those targets on our side of the border, then I think those would be the outer limits, it seems to me. We still want to have some kind of restrictions, but I, I think in some places, but I think those are the kind of target dates you're looking for. I think the problem we're going to have, though, and I go back to this, that because the Americans seem to be fully vaccinating both their population, once you get into that sort of game where you tie it expressly to vaccines, and if we're half vaccinated while we wait for our second course, if it comes at all, you know, then the Americans say, well, wait a second, Canada, I thought you said you wanted to tie this to vaccines, and you've not, you've not done it, <laughs> you know, in the same way we have. So I, I kind of am a little bit worried about tying it expressly to vaccines, because I just think we're behind them. All right, we'll leave it there uh, for now. Trade and investment lawyer Mark Warner with us this afternoon. Mark, appreciate the time and the expertise. Thanks so much. Nice time. Bye-bye. Okay, after day one, the Ontario government now says glitches in the vaccine portal are now fixed. So overall, how did we do and how are we doing? Let's ask Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath, who's on the line and joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Ms. Horvath, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay, 90,000, just over 90,000 vaccine appointments booked in the first day. Would you call that a success? I think for those folks who were able to um, go on and uh, and get their appointments made without much of a hassle, I think I'm happy for them. I think that uh, that's a positive piece of news for those folks that struggled and got frustrated and uh, and felt that uh, that they the portal wasn't working and then the phone line wasn't working. I have some sympathy for that. I mean, people are desperate to uh, to get this vaccine, and it's it's just not good enough that. Um, you know that that so many went online and and complained in other ways about uh, about the problem. Well, Premier Ford was asked about the problems yesterday. Have a listen to this sound. This is what he had to say. You know, I'm not a computer expert, so I shouldn't be speaking about this. But one gentleman was complaining adamantly, and he was putting in the wrong what is it URL number or something. He was putting some something in wrong, and he consisted doing it. All right, what do you make of that response? Well, I mean, it's basically uh, blaming everyday folks um, uh, instead of taking responsibility. Uh, and that's, you know, that's unfortunate. It, it's it's really uh, up to the government to make the process as easy and seamless and bug-free as possible. Um, and many, many others were complaining of different, um, you know, different experiences that prevented them from making the appointments either for themselves or many times for their loved ones who you know, seniors and didn't necessarily have the computer skills. But, you know, pulling this one example out and pointing a finger at this gentleman um, is just shirking of responsibility. 
Yeah. How much blame is it fair, do you think, to place on the Ontario government? After all, it was other firms, outside firms that were hired to do this work. Uh, other provinces as well have uh, had their share problems when it comes to their uh, vaccination portals. This isn't something that uh, has just happened here. No, I mean, that's definitely true. I guess I would always um, look to the Premier to explain why it was that he waited so long to put all this together. I mean, it was it was up late. I mean, it was a week or two later than he had initially suggested it would be. Uh, and and they, they took their time when it came to putting their task force together in the first place. I mean, they didn't even start until December when we knew, you know, that, that likely the vaccines would be flowing by end of year, beginning of this year. And, you know, they, they had a lot of time to plan and a lot of time to put things in place. They got started late. And that's that the decision-making of Doug Ford, I, I suspect, like with everything else, he didn't want to spend the money to get things up and running quickly. And, and you know, as a result, we end up with delays and glitches. Yeah, it occurs to me if we've had other problems in other provinces like B.C., I mean, why wouldn't the governments uh, just all get together, kind of pool their resources uh, and their, their money as well? Because after all, the vaccine's the vaccine and appointments are appointments. Wouldn't that have made more sense rather than all of these separate portals? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we don't have a nationwide uh, uh, portal or a nationwide uh, process, but we, we don't even have an Ontario-wide one. Uh, and there's, there are many public health units that are going it alone uh, that are not joining in with the, um, the provincial portal or the provincial booking system. Um, public health units were, were way ahead when it came to the implementation of uh, a vaccine uh, uh, appointment reservations or uh, or bookings, and so you know, this is a place where I think the premier might have um, might have done better had he engaged the public health experts in the first place, uh, because they have the expertise. I mean, they they know how to do this kind of stuff, but they were left out of the process um, early on, and and I think that uh, was was an error. So uh, uh, those those communities, I think of Guelph, Wellington, for example, that that are were way ahead and that had shots in people's arms almost immediately uh, because they took it into their own hands because they knew they had the expertise. You know, that's I think that's something we uh, we need to you know respect and um, and the government needs to understand that you know you shouldn't just recreate the wheel if if there's something that's working if there's a, a particularly a, a group of, um, of folks that have reliably undertaken you know, vaccinations over the years for generations now, like public health, uh, they should have been relied upon. Well, speaking of expertise, we also found out yesterday that uh, retired General Rick Hillier, he will be leaving at the end of this month. Is this the time, do you think, uh, for the head of our vaccination task force to bow out, considering where we are right now? And as you just mentioned, that uh, the task force kind of got going a little late. Yeah, I mean it's it's quite surprising. I I was uh, I was shocked to hear that, frankly. I mean, there's there's no doubt that no one advisor is responsible for the you know the late start or the the, the delay on launching. Uh, but um, you know, again, it was I think it was up to Mr. Ford to to make those investments early on and and get that ball rolling early on. Uh, but it is kind of curious that uh, you know the you know the the large quantity of shipments that aren't here yet, they're hopefully coming soon, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an odd time for the general, general to, uh, to bow out.
Yeah. And speaking of an odd time, was this the time to start to reopening things, particularly in Toronto and Peel? I know that Dr. Williams was asked uh, yesterday, he was rather noncommittal as to uh, whether or not we are indeed in a third wave. Do you believe that's uh, where we are? And have we uh, perhaps uh, reopened a little too soon? Well, Jeff, uh, in fact, uh, when the government was starting to reopen, we were ringing the alarm bells, as were many others. Uh, experts in, in the health field, epidemiologists saying, you know, let's not go too fast, especially if we don't have other measures in place to stop, to stop the spread or reduce the spread. So uh, we were calling on the government, as you probably know, uh, for things like paid sick days, uh, caps on classroom sizes in schools, uh, massive uh, asymptomatic testing or just massive uh, rapid testing in workplaces, particularly as well as schools. Uh, but they didn't do any of that, and they went ahead and started the opening anyways. And I think the last thing, you know, small businesses need and the last thing that Ontarians need who are, I mean, everybody's so exhausted with putting up with these lockdowns, the last thing we need is another lockdown. Uh, so we all know it was the, kind of like a race between the variants and the uh, the vaccines. Uh, from what I'm hearing, you know, yesterday and today, there's a real concern that the variants are winning. And if that means another lockdown that could have been avoided, it's, you know, I just, my heart goes out to especially, you know, the small businesses that um, have tried to reopen two or three times now. And if they have to get locked down again, we're going to see even more of them close their doors permanently. It's just, it's really a lot to ask and uh, I hope we don't end up there. Yeah. Can I just finally ask you about the emergency break? It's been applied a couple of times. Is that kind of the happy medium here between remaining in lockdown and being I guess, completely uh, open. I mean, was that a good strategy? Is that one you're behind to be able to kind of put that break on where need be in certain hot spots as they flare up? Uh, well, you know, it, it's interesting. We're, we're certainly hoping that uh, the government gives some more some more support to some of these uh, communities. I, I was literally just reading a press release that we sent out on behalf of our MPP out in Thunder Bay uh, because the government hasn't stepped in to help, uh, you know, deal with the uh, the raging COVID-19 spread that's happening there. And so, uh, I mean, certainly, you know, a, a, you know, a sudden stop to uh, or change from uh, the zone that you're in, uh, you know, red zone, gray zone, yellow, orange. I mean, the, the, the point is that's fine to move people into a different zone, but then provide the support necessary to get this spread under control. And I don't know that that's happening. And I, and I can just say that I, as I've watched the government uh, apply the quote-unquote break, um, it, it seems to me that it, it's really not all that much different in terms of a process. Uh, I mean, they, they still have the same process around, you know, watching the numbers over a certain number of days and then taking the decisions to cabinet. Uh, it, it is, it, it's not so emergency, I think, as they, as they claim that it is. Having said that, the important piece is really to provide the support and the uh, you know, the help to stop the spread when, when a, a community is going into a, um, you know, a, a gray zone or a, a, a red zone. All right. Leave it there for now. Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath with us this afternoon. Appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Jeff. Take care. You as well. Okay. We're just talking to NDP leader Andrea Horvath about this. Are we in a third wave here in Ontario? Let's ask infectious diseases expert Dr. Suman Chakrabati. He joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Doctor, good afternoon. Afternoon. Love the intro music. <laughs> Bye, man. 
I knew you would love that, being a uh, fan of the guitar, as you are. Okay, Ontario's top doctor was noncommittal when asked about this uh, yesterday, Dr. Williams. The Ontario Hospital Association says yes. How do you see things right now, Dr. Chakrabarty? Are we in the uh, midst of or the beginning of a third wave? Yeah, yeah. You know what? It's hard to know, obviously, until you're there. But I'll tell you one thing. We have been seeing a steady um, rise in cases over the last couple of weeks. So I think that the safest thing to write right now, too, is... Look, uh, consider it. Uh, go to the areas where we're seeing this happening. See what we can do if we can mitigate this. But we don't want to be kind of caught with our pants down and not uh, in the middle of a wave and not having prepared for it. Yeah. How do we know when we're in a wave, or is it impossible to know until you're kind of out of it? Well, I, I, it has to do with the, you know watching the trajectory of the cases going up. Obviously, you don't know how high it's going to go. So, for example, in January, you, you remember. At one point, they were talking about us seeing 12,000 cases a day. You didn't think it would ever end. And then all of a sudden, you're on the other side of it, right? So I think that right now, it looks like the cases are increasing. We don't know to what trajectory, to what maximum. But we have to be prepared for it. And I think that's what the, the, the main message should be. Yeah, and do you just look at caseload? I mean, you and I talk about this uh, all the time, it seems. But when we look as to whether or not we're indeed in the midst of a spike or a wave, is it just caseload or is it hospitalizations? Is it ICU capacity? We should look at all of that. And I, I like the idea of not just looking at the case. So we should look past that. See, what's the context of what's happening? So, for example, in Ontario, we're seeing a lot of activity, for example, in Thunder Bay, uh, in homeless shelters and jails, uh, and also on First Nations reserves. We're seeing that in Lambton County, which is where I was born. These are the things we have to look at because we know that the knee-jerk reaction of lockdown is not going to help this. We have to put in targeted efforts to try to help uh, you know, quell those outbreaks before just resorting to closing things down because we want to try to you know, have the most bang for our buck with uh, reduction of cases. Yeah, when you talk about uh, being targeted, uh, is that uh, just precautions? I mean, face masks, social distancing, that sort of thing, or is it vaccines? And is that just the ultimate answer is to uh, flood those hotspots and really all areas eventually with vaccine? Uh, that's one thing for sure. But also we have to remember, in, in certain places, you can do things to help quell the outbreaks. For example, in a congregate living setting, helping with isolation, testing, uh, you know, uh, cohorting people who are positive or negative. There's all sorts of public health measures you can do on the ground to help quell that. And, you know, uh, just locking down the community is not going to do that. And that's why, you know, public health is just so important. And also looking beyond just the case count and the context of what's actually happening. Okay, also making COVID headlines on this Tuesday, NACI, they have approved AstraZeneca for those now over the age of 65 in this country. That is a major change from just a couple of weeks ago in what they were advising. Uh, why the change in guidance here? Well, you know, I did listen to the, um, the press conference this morning, and they were saying that, uh, look, we now have some real-world evidence, which, you know, was there a couple of weeks ago, too. But they said that based on the real-world evidence, especially what they saw in Europe and especially the U.K., they have now um, made this recommendation. I'm worried, though, and I used this term with you before, the idea of poisoning the well. You know, there was already this kind of uncertainty around AstraZeneca, which wasn't there with the other two, Pfizer and Moderna. And I think this has really uh, given a lot of seeds of doubt in people in the public and you know I, I really wish that weren't the case because this does look like to be a fairly effective and safe vaccine okay but it seems as if our country is going in a completely different direction i mean we have our governing body nasi saying uh oh as a matter of fact that let's give it to those over the age of 65 well we've got so many uh, countries going the, the opposite way suspending the use of astrazeneca so uh, how are people supposed to get that right canadians in their head do you think 
Yeah, and I think this is important is that, uh, first of all, we should really see what's going on there. Like, uh, uh, they probably, or Norway, I guess, it was the one that started. They did this for a reason. We want to really take a closer look at what the decision was based on. Understand it might have been some unusual clots which need to be looked into. Based on the totality of evidence we have so far, especially in the UK, it looks to be fairly safe, and I think that's what the message needs to be. Obviously, things can change, and it's important we call pharmacovigilance. Really, really monitor what's going on uh, once the uh, drug is out in the public to see if there's any effects that you didn't see in the trial. So I think it's important for us to do that. We're also in a public health emergency. We want to be trying to get vaccination into people uh, as much as we can because we want to get out of the pandemic. Just finally, Dr. Chakrabarti, we were just talking about this before the break with Andrea Horvath, leader of the NDP party. Uh, what is your take on uh, here we are day two of the vaccine portal now open that uh, people can get online, book vaccination appointments. We get the pharmacies uh, on board as well. Are we in, do you think, a, a good period uh, right now or just entering a good period uh, when it comes to our battle against COVID? To be fair, that uh, as soon as we entered the vaccine period back in December, I thought we were in a good spot. But yeah, there's clearly been some bumps in the road. And I know there will be some occasional bumps in, in the technicalities of the portal. But so far right now, it looks like we're going into that ramp up period, especially starting next Monday when we start to get a really big wave of vaccines coming in. So I think that, yes, we are in a good spot. Vaccines are going into Canadian arms. And we're soon going to start to see the effects of that, especially on the trajectory of the pandemic here in Ontario and Canada. Yeah, is that million doses of Pfizer that the Prime Minister announced uh, last week? Uh, and this seems to be an overused uh, phrase during the pandemic, but a game changer? Yeah, I, it, it is overused. But yeah, I think it is. Like, it's certainly something that we definitely need to get these vaccines into arms. And now the supply is not going to be um, uh, as much of an issue. That said, we have to have the infrastructure to be able to get those uh, vaccines into people's arms. But I think that uh, as the things ramp up, We'll see that. So I'm, I'm really optimistic. And again, spring's coming. There's a lot of good things. Spring's in bloom, as you uh, uh, introduced me with In Bloom by Nirvana. But I, I think that uh, the, a lot of good weeks are coming ahead, and I'm looking forward to it. Love it. Dr. Suman Chakrabarti, appreciate it as always. Thanks so much for the time this afternoon. You guys take care. You as well.